This morning's scripture reading is from Psalm 42 to 43. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hemron, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones and my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, Last week we were away, I was in New York with um, Nathaniel and Joanna, and we worshiped together with the people of uh, Redeemer Presbyterian on the west side, and uh, we had a wonderful time, but when we left, all of us thought we'd rather honestly be back here. Um, Charles Spurgeon called the gathered community of believers the dearest place on earth. And uh, that, that, is, that was just a reminder to us last Sunday. We gathered with God's people, but it wasn't this people. And it wasn't the people that we get to do life with and share the good news with and encourage one another, people that we know by name and, and people that our lives are being knit together with. And uh, we missed you last week, so it's good to be among you. And uh, I, I am very, very thankful for this community of brothers and sisters in Christ. It's good to be with you. And if you're a visitor with us this morning, welcome, a big welcome uh, to Christ City Kits. And I hope the word today will encourage you. Before we jump into the word, can I invite you to bow your heads and hearts with me? We need to pray. 
Father in heaven. We're thankful that you are not only there, but that you are not silent, that you have spoken. You've spoken to us in your word. You've spoken to us in the revelation of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. It all speaks of him. And I pray that this morning you would come with a word of comfort for the afflicted and a word of conviction for the comfortable, that you would wash over us with your word what we need this morning and that your word would have have life as it meets our hearts and we believe it by faith. Give us that grace, we pray this morning, by your spirit in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things I love about the Psalms, we're in the Psalms this summer, and uh, one of the things I love about the Psalms is that um, the Psalms, if you've read them, you know that they are brutally honest. The Psalms never sugarcoat things. They never give us this uh, sugarcoated understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, The Psalms never give us this sort of photoshopped spirituality of shiny, happy people that are always winning. The Psalms are brutally honest. The Psalms take very seriously and and go deep on the, the trials and the struggles and the troubles that we all face as we learn to trust the Lord with all of our lives. I hope that this summer as we go through the Psalms, you'll read along with us through them and just open up your heart to them and and, and allow them to speak deeply to you. They will meet you. The Lord will meet you in the Psalms in a way that for me, I I don't know that I find any other portion of the scripture that speaks so uh, particularly to my own issues. So if you've got issues, spend time in the Psalms. Um, What I want to do this morning is look at Psalm 42 and 43 that Jonathan read to us because they teach us an important lesson. They teach us about fighting for our hope in God when we feel like we're in the grip of, of great sorrow and dark depression. We need to know this. We need to know how to fight, how to really fight by faith for our hope in God when there's a darkness that's just grabbed a hold of us and, and, and doesn't want to let go. The Psalms here, Psalms 42 and 43 will teach us that. And the psalmist distills this wonderful theme of hoping in God, even in the midst of depression. He distills this theme for us in that, that, that refrain that he repeats three times in both Psalms. Here's what he writes. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We'll come back to that text a little later. But what, na- what I want to do right now is help us to see where we're going this morning. So basically two parts to this morning's message. First thing I want us to do is is look together at how the psalmist sees himself. 
How does the psalmist view his own circumstances? That's important. We're going to spend a few minutes on that this morning because I think that can give us some insight, hopefully, into the causes of what Martin Lloyd-Jones identified from these psalms as spiritual depression. So we're going to see how the psalmist sees himself. That's our first part. Secondly, we're going to learn how the psalmist fights for his hope in God even when things feel very dark and God feels very distant. We want to see how the psalmist practically fights for his hope in God. These psalms, if we take them to heart this morning, if we learn what they have to give us, I think they'll teach us how to persevere in hope. So let's begin by seeing how the psalmist sees himself. Look at verses 40, uh, chapter 42, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist tells us here that he is spiritually parched. He says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then he asks, when shall I come and appear before God? And these are beautiful verses. Uh, perhaps you, you might imagine these verses sort of on a, uh, embroidered on a sampler and hanging on a wall at your grandmother's house. Or, or maybe your image is, you know, these verses with a little picture above it emblazoned on a, on a kitschy cup that you'd find in a Christian gift store. I don't know about you, but, you know, I've seen these pictures with this verse below it. And there's a, there's a picture there of a, of a deer in a lush green forest and a, a gentle stream strolling by. That's not the image here. That's, get that image out of your mind. Expel it. Because that's not the image the psalmist wants us to have here. He is spiritually parched. The psalmist is panting after God and thirsting after God. This is, there's a spiritual drought in this man's life. He's like, uh, he's like a dying animal that is lost in a desert wilderness somewhere. This isn't a a cute little spiritual sentiment. This is a cry of desperation. The psalmist is longing, is painfully longing for the presence of God. You can hear that in this man's cry. He is feeling weak. He is feeling vulnerable. He's feeling like he's going to die. The 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon vividly described this psalmist situation. Here's what he wrote. The enjoyment of communion with God was an urgent need of his soul. He viewed it not merely as the sweetest of all luxuries, but as an absolute necessity, like water to a stag like the parched traveler in the wilderness whose bottle is empty, who finds the wells dry, he must drink or die. He must have his God or faint. His soul, 
His very self, his deepest life was insatiable for a sense of the divine presence. This isn't a unique experience among the people of God. I would venture to guess that that all, all followers of Jesus Christ experience uh, seasons of spiritual drought from time to time in their lives. But here, I think what I want to draw your attention to is the thirst itself, this, this spiritual longing that, that this psalmist have and that, that I think that we feel in those seasons of spiritual drought. This spiritual longing is itself a sign of spiritual life. We feel like we're dying inside because we're painfully missing the presence of God. But that pain, that longing, that thirst is itself a sign of spiritual life. Take heart. I love how Spurgeon explains this. Look at what he says. The next best thing. Read it. The next best thing to living in the light of the Lord's love is to be unhappy till we have it and to pant, and to pant hourly after it. Thirst is a perpetual appetite and not to be forgotten, not to be ignored, not to be pretended that it's not there. And even thus continually is the heart's longing after God. When it is as natural for us to long for God as for an animal to thirst, it is well with our souls, however painful our feelings. That's a good word. And the next thing we see here in the psalm is how the psalmist in the middle of this spiritual depression, how his own sorrow works against him how his own sorrow undermines his faith. Look at verse 3. Listen to what he says very carefully. My tears have been my food day and night. He's weeping continually. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? This is important to point out. Grief and sorrow, spiritual depression, whatever you want to call it, these are not merely negative feelings. Those negative feelings are communicating something to us. They're telling us things. They're saying things to us about ourselves and about God and about others. For the psalmist here, his, his tears that he is crying. He's weeping all day long. His tears are mocking him. His tears are asking him, where is your God? He feels the absence of God and his own sorrow is preaching this message to him. God has left you. God is absent. God has forgotten you. His, his sorrow is saying that God has deserted him. Now, I'm no stranger to spiritual depression. And this is one of the greatest lessons I've learned. Don't listen to what your negative feelings are telling you. Don't listen. Don't engage them. 
Don't believe them. They seem to speak with such certainty. But most of what they say to us is not true. Where is your God? God has not left this man. It's his sorrow. It's his tears that are, are, are telling him these lies. We have to resist the temptation to believe what our sorrow, what our negative feelings, what our spiritual depression is telling us. That's important. Thirdly, oftentimes when we are feeling weak, when we're feeling spiritually depressed, when we're feeling vulnerable, this is an unfortunate thing, but Oftentimes when that's going on, the world and the devil, they don't take a vacation. They take advantage. They take advantage of the opportunity when we're in a weakened state. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, the psalmist says, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? He's not only opposing himself internally, now he's also facing external opposition. There's adversaries from the outside preaching the same message that his own sorrow is preaching to him from the inside. I love how honest the psalmist is. I don't know about you, but I don't like to admit very, very easily how much the hard and unkind words of others can really hurt. Oh, no, it's, it's no big deal. No, that, that, that's okay. There's none of that with this. I, I love how honest the psalmist is. Listen to what he says. There's, there's these taunts of the adversaries. Look at what he says. It feels like a deadly wound in his bones. The harmful and the hurtful attacks of others, they're deep and they're painful. It feels, it feels like it's, it's killing him. So we've got to guard against that external attack that we often face when we're, we're feeling weak and spiritually depressed. And finally... All of this that's going on in this man's life, it all adds up to this feeling of being forgotten and forsaken by God. Look at verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And Psalm 43, verses 1 and 2. He cries out, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? See, spiritual depression, when it's magnified by external opposition, leads the psalmist to draw the wrong conclusions about God. He thinks that God has forsaken him. He thinks that God has forgotten about him. He thinks that God, who he calls his rock and his refuge, he thinks that this God 
has somehow, could somehow reject him. I have to ask, because I've been here. How often do we do similar things? You've had a bad day. You've had a bad week. You've had a bad month. And, and troubles are piling up like a rear-end collision on an on a interstate highway. How often do we believe in those moments that God has forgotten about us? God has left the building. God has abandoned us. We're all on our own. It's lies. It's all lies. When we are at our worst, we are tempted to believe the worst about God, aren't we? We have to resist the temptation. We have to take a firm stand, even though we feel abandoned, even though we feel deserted, even though we feel forgotten by God, we have to take a firm stand on what He has promised us. On what He has done for us, regardless of how we feel about it. I think we have to take our feelings, as well as our thoughts, captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Feelings are wonderful things. They're important for the life of faith. But feelings, like our thoughts, have to be renewed. They have to be sanctified. They have to be brought under the obedience of Jesus Christ. Or they will lead us. I know this, in my case, they will lead me here and there and everywhere. But nowhere faithfully. If I, if I let them drive the car, they're going to drive off a cliff. Well, what should we do? What can we do when we feel like we're in the grip of grief and sorrow when the dark night of the soul has descended upon us? What, what can we do? Well, there are five things here, at least five things that I think we can learn from these Psalms about fighting, about fighting for our hope in the Lord when the dark night of the soul descends. First, if you're taking notes, take notes. This will be useful. First, we must pray persistently. We have to pray persistently. I love this, these psalms because they're punctuated throughout with prayer. Seven times in both these psalms, the psalmist prays. He's praying to God. He's crying out in desperation to God. We have to pray persistently. The whole Psalter, all the psalms are punctuated by prayer. We have to be like that to fight for hope. We have to be persistent in prayer. Look at, here's a few examples. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Psalm 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause. It's another prayer. Psalm 43, verse 3. Send out your light. And your truth, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place. These are prayers. 
These aren't wonderful, long, flowing, flowery, well-crafted prayers. These are desperate prayers, popcorn prayers, born out of desperate need. And we have to punctuate our time. I know how hard it is to pray, especially when you feel like you're in the grip of a dark grief and sorrow and you're believing the wrong things about God. You feel like he's left you and forsaken you. You're tempted not to pray, right? You're tempted to give up. Why bother praying? God doesn't care. God isn't listening. Do not give up. Never give up. We have to be persevering in prayer, perhaps even more then. See, because here's the problem. Prayerlessness only compounds the problem. Prayerlessness only makes it darker. Prayerlessness only ensures that the grip of grief gets tighter around our necks. We have to pray. We have to persevere in prayer. Even if they're a sentence, pray it. Pray it aloud. Ask others to pray. Get them to, to, to pray for you throughout the day. That's what texting is for. That's what texting is for, to text other people to ask you to pray for them. That's why God gave us the gift of texting. Because here's the thing, my friends. Our hope will never get off the ground if we don't pray. Prayerlessness equals defeat. Prayerlessness equals hopelessness. We have to pray. We have to persistently pray. Through, through the dark night of the soul. That's the only way to get to the light on the other side. Second, we should acknowledge God's sovereignty and God's love for us over all our circumstances. We need to persistently pray. Secondly, we need to acknowledge, we need to remember God's sovereignty and God's love for us over all of our circumstances. Look at verse 7 in Psalm 42. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The psalmist here, it's, it's, he's feeling like a child who is caught up in a roaring surf. He can't stand. He's being tossed around by the power of his, his adversity. But he discerns that this isn't random. This isn't just random chaos unleashing itself on him. But he discerns God's hand in his worst circumstances. That's what we need to do. We need to recognize that God is sovereign. God is reigning. God is at work in the worst of our situations. They're your waterfalls that are roaring. They're not just the waterfalls. They're your waterfalls. They're your breakers and your waves that are smashing against us. 
I think I'd give up the faith if I ever lost my, my grip on this truth. That God reigns over all of my situations and over all of my circumstances. Even when we're feeling utterly overwhelmed, terribly afraid, we need to trust that God is somehow mysteriously working through all of this for my ultimate good, for your ultimate good. That's what the Bible teaches, Romans 8.28. Read it. See, none of our misery is meaningless. None of it. We may not understand it. We may not fully comprehend what's going on. But none of it, I promise you, none of it is meaningless. None of it, Paul says, none of our present sufferings are worth even comparing to the great glory that will be finally and fully revealed to us. Keep that in mind. Look at your troubles from that perspective. Now take a look at verse 8. I love this verse. But by day the Lord commands his steadfast love. What a great way to open our gathering this morning with Psalm 136. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Several times in this sort of dark psalm, several times there's these statements of faith that just sort of break through, aren't there? It's like, have you ever been walking along the sidewalk? You know, on a hot day, there's these slabs of of concrete sidewalk. And you look down and you see that there's this little blade of green grass that is broken through the concrete. And it's poking up green and, and sort of, you know, like a little blade of green grass. What are you doing there? How did that happen? That's like this. It's like a statement of life coming out of hard, concrete, oppressive weight. Somehow this, this little statement of faith pops its head up and says, I'm here. I'm alive, I'm believing, I'm hoping, I'm singing, I'm praying. Little blade of grass, little blade of faith. Sometimes it doesn't take much to carry you through a terrible time. Even when you don't feel it, even when you... You feel lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. Believe this. Believe that the Lord commands his steadfast love toward you. Steadfast love. That's that chesed love. That's that covenant love. One of... uh, one of my kids' children's Bibles uh, describes this, this steadfast love as 
his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's a great way to describe the steadfast love of the Lord. His never stopping, his never giving up, his unbreaking, his always and forever love. This is the kind of love that God has for you in Christ. This is the kind of love that sent the Son of God into the world to take our sins upon himself and die on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for us. This is the kind of love that says to you this morning, even when you feel that God has abandoned you, this is the kind of love that says to you, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I've, I've believed that for myself 10,000 times. This is the kind of love that says, I will never let you go. This is the kind of love that will never lose its grip on us, even when we feel like our sweaty fingers are losing its grip on him. This is that kind of love, and he commands it toward you now and always in Christ. Third thing, we need to remember We need to remember. We need to be a people who remember. And what we remember and how we remember what we remember are important. Look at Psalm 42, verse 4. Look at what he says. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Here's what he remembers. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. The psalmist is remembering better days, isn't he? He's remembering times when he gathered with God's people and participated in corporate worship. He's, he's thirsting for God and for the people of God to praise him again. Right now, God feels distant. His heart feels dark. But he remembers. He doesn't forget. We mustn't forget. Here's the thing. And I don't think any of us get a real sense of how important the people of God are in our life. If we're going to fight for hope, we've got to include most of my memories are not doing anything on my own. Aren't they? Most of your memories, aren't they about sharing that special time with other people? And if we're going to find our hope and fight for our hope in the Lord, it's going to be by remembering how he met us through others and with others, often here as we've gathered with the people of God in corporate worship. That's what he's remembering here because he knows that he can't do this alone. He needs God, but he needs the people of God. He needs to worship God in, in, in the corporate gathered community of believers. Worship is one of the greatest means of grace that God has given us. Let me say this, Jesus Christ is present with us when we gather in a way that he isn't present with you when you're merely alone. That's his promise to us. 
this morning at 7 a.m. when Tanner pulled up in the truck, we took a few minutes to pray just that way. We said, Jesus, you promised to be with us by your spirit when we as a people gather in your name. And he does and he will. And some of those are the sweetest times. We mustn't forget this. Fourth, this is important. We must learn to preach to ourselves. Let's return to that repeated refrain that I mentioned earlier on. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Here, the psalmist is teaching us such a valuable lesson. If we are going to fight for our hope in the Lord, we must learn to preach to ourselves. Instead of listening to those hopeless, unbelieving thoughts that our sorrow tells us, we've got to preach to ourselves. We've got to engage with ourselves. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves. Years ago, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a very helpful insight that's helped me and many others over the years. He wrote a helpful insight on this verse. Here's what he wrote. Please listen. He writes, The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must exhort yourself and say to yourself, hope in God instead of muttering in a depressed way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do for you. See, when our souls are getting off course and leading us deeper into the darkness, don't go. (laughs) Hey, come with me off this cliff. Don't go. Stop. Stop listening to yourself and start preaching to yourself. Take yourself in hand, as Lloyd-Jones says. Take yourself in hand and start preaching the good news of Jesus Christ crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. We're all preachers. Start preaching. And get others that preach well to you as well. Get them. Start listening to them. So many times my wife or my kids have offered truth that has just come in at a certain angle and brought that light of hope and grace back into my life that I had I'd forgotten. I wasn't listening. Didn't hear it. Coming from someone else, it made all the difference. This is crucial. Finally, we need to hold out for God's presence. If we're going to fight for our hope in the Lord, we need to hold out for God's presence and not seek or be satisfied with anything less ever. Hold out for God's presence. I know it pains us when we we feel his distance. We feel his absence. We're not with him yet fully. 
Look at Psalm 43, verses 3 and 4. This is his prayer. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. The psalmist is longing for God. We have got to hold out for what the psalmist is longing for. The presence of God, his exceeding joy. Is God your exceeding joy? Or are you captivated by a bunch of counterfeit joys? Make God alone your exceeding joy. The good news is, that Christ gave up the exceeding joy that he had in all eternity with his Father and the Holy Spirit. He gave all that up. He laid it all aside. He became a man and dwelt among us. Isaiah 53, 3 tells us that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, a man acquainted with grief. He did all of this. Why? For us, Jesus knows what the dark night of the soul is like. He isn't absent. He's more present. As some of you know, I've, I've had my bouts of depression over many, many years. And let me say this publicly. And as much as I wouldn't wish depression upon anybody, I thank God for it because it has taught me about the precious hope that I have in Jesus, who has entered into the darkness in a deeper and more tangible way than I will ever know. And he has emerged victorious out the other side as my Savior triumphant over Satan's sin and death. And I never would have learned how precious that good news if I hadn't been in that place where I needed him so badly. He is acquainted with grief. He is a man of sorrows. And he is the triumphant Savior. Why has he done all this for us? Why did he come into the world and give up the exceeding joy that he knew with his father and become that man acquainted with sorrows and grief? Why? He did it to bring us to God. He did it to make a way for us to come into the very presence of God and to gaze upon the glory and the majesty and the beauty and the goodness of the God who made us for our himself and the God in whom none of us will be truly joyful until we are in his presence. That's why he did it. That's our hope. Look to him by faith this morning and fight. Don't give up. Fight. Fight for your hope in the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would be with my brothers and my sisters as we seek to fight for our hope in you. Our hope in you through Jesus Christ who reigns at your right hand victorious on our behalf, who pleads for us his righteousness. Lord, Lord, give us your grace. Help us to fight. Help us to hope. Help us to believe so that we might finish this, this race and see your face and know you as we have been known by you.
In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.